Welcome to this week's energy show. Now, unless you have solar, you probably complain a lot about high electric bills. Now, homeowners pay for every kilowatt hour they use. That's even worse for commercial customers because in addition to the kilowatt hour energy charges, they also pay these things called demand charges, which are based on their monthly peak kilowatt usage. For example, let's say you're running a business and it's a warehouse with equipment and once in a while you have an industrial process going. Your peak demand is 300 kilowatt hours in a month. That's the peak demand that may be used. Machines come on, air conditioning comes on, employees plug in their EVs. At a $20 per kilowatt demand charge, you could experience a $6,000 total demand charge every single month. That's over $70,000 a year. So commercial companies have big incentives to reduce their demand charges. Now, if you can somehow cut that demand charge, that peak demand charge every month from 300 kilowatts to 200 kilowatts, you can save $2,000 a month, $24,000 a year. So there's various technologies out there to reduce these demand charges. And my guest on this week's show is John Powers with Extensible Energy. They have software that connects to all the equipment in your commercial building, and it integrates with battery storage equipment and solar equipment. So you can manage your equipment, your solar, and your batteries to reduce these peak demand charges. Now, in some cases, you can save up to 30% or more on-demand charges in a typical commercial building. So welcome to the show, John. Thanks a lot, Barry. It's a pleasure to be here. All right, good. Well, yeah, we just came back from a big lobby day up in Sacramento. John was there talking about his product, where they're sweating in the sun. And it was just really a great introduction to Extensible Energy. So I'm really happy to have you on the show today. Give us a general introduction into Extensible Energy. Sure. As you said, we're a software company. We make software that controls all the different loads in a commercial building by flexing the flexible loads in terms of what time you're using the different loads in the building. So as you mentioned, demand charges are calculated on the maximum usage during a particular month or billing period. And we help rearrange the usage patterns so that your demand charges are much lower. We can interact with, as Barry said, we can interact with electric vehicles and batteries. But in most commercial buildings, the largest flexible load is heating and cooling. Now, nobody cares when the compressors are running. They only care that it's comfortable inside. So we can watch for when the HVAC system would otherwise make a peak demand and rearrange that. So what we use to do that is a smart forecasting algorithm for how much the solar output is going to be, a smart forecasting algorithm for what the whole building load is going to be, and then an optimization engine that watches both of those so that we can send control signals to a little gateway in the building that talks to each of the individual loads. So, for example, would it be that it's going to be a really hot day, the temperature is going to peak around 2 p.m., and then you can tell your electric vehicle chargers when the employees come back from lunch not to plug in, and you could pre-cool the building at that point? Is that the way it would kind of work? Yeah, the pre-cooling is a great example. So let's say my little forecaster has told me that at 2 p.m. when it's going to be the hottest, we're also going to get a cloud coming over that might reduce the solar output. At that point, we would say, okay, it's noon. We have plenty of sun now, and loads aren't that high. Let's pre-cool the building by a couple of degrees. Nobody notices the difference in temperature, but that turns out to be a lot of energy. And then when the cloud actually shows up, you can let the temperature go back up a couple degrees. Again, keep the fans rolling. Nobody notices that either. And you've just ironed out what would have been a very large spike in demand. Again, with solar, solar is great for saving energy, but not necessarily demand, because one cloud can ruin your whole month. 
cloudy day is going to ruin the whole time, right, Pat? Yeah. yeah. I, I kind of also like the remark about solar spills. A solar spill is just a really sunny day. Right, oh. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so who are your typical customers? So we sell to commercial customers, mostly office, retail, church, school, warehouse, anything where the dominant load in the building is flexible, be it HVAC or a battery. And then we sell through solar installers who are working with commercial customers. So we try and get to the installer in time for them to make a stronger quote to the customer by saving on energy and demand, which raises the ROI even higher than the example you gave a minute ago. Typical PG&E or SCE customer, you can generally raise the ROI uh, or reduce the payback time by one and a half to two years by saving both energy and demand instead of just energy. So step us through the economic of the incremental cost and incremental savings for an extensible energy system. How much does it cost to put in? What are the maintenance fees? And then what is it going to save the customer per year? Yeah. So if you know commercial buildings, there's no typical building. But the goal we have is for this to all be a one-day installation with either no additional equipment or a change out of smart thermostats. If you have dumb thermostats, we would have to put in smart thermostats that can be remotely addressed. But even in a case like that, that's on the order of less than a day and maybe $150 or $200 per thermostat. So it's a very small addition to the price. The economics of the software are very simple. If we save you a dollar, we keep 33 cents. It's just a simple shared savings approach to pricing. And the service runs for as many years as you want. We typically get five years rolled in with the installation of a software system, fairly similar to what the monitoring system economics would be. So does that answer the question? Yeah, yeah, no, that's pretty good. So how do you know what the savings is that's attributed to your system versus, you know, what happens on a, you know, say it gets really hot in one year? Right. So we watch every second or every minute what control signals are doing to the individual loads in the building via either the thermostats or control signals to the battery. So we know exactly what the loads would have been without our intervention without taking some historical look at, well, was this summer better than last summer? You can see day by day, hour by hour, what the impacts are. Okay. Okay. Talk to me about how your software and your service integrates with existing equipment. I've got years of challenges getting thermostats to work, HVAC equipment to work, and even solar and battery systems work. How do you manage that process? Yeah, so that's really where we've put most of our effort. The optimization math and stuff is kind of fun, but the nitty-gritty work has all been in um, the different protocols that different devices speak. So we can speak... Zigbee, Wi-Fi, Z-Wave, any of the wireless technologies that are common in buildings. We can speak BACnet, which is a common protocol for energy management systems in commercial office buildings. And then we can address, still working on batteries, we can address a few of them via API to the controllers that are 
sold along with batteries. We're not going all the way down to the firmware in an individual battery or even a battery inverter at this point. We're just talking to the controllers. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, controllers. That's, yeah let them deal with that nightmare Yeah, and, and yeah. the firmware upgrades that, that come with that. These problems have been around forever, even right. when I started doing this in 1980 and sure. dealing with building controls. So how do you deal with all the energy management systems that are out there? And these are systems that have been installed to save 30%. And how do you save on top of that? Yeah, so the world of John and Control and Honeywell and Siemens is one that I'm pretty familiar with. Had a successful exit from an earlier energy information systems company. And so we sold that one to ABB on favorable terms. So I know my way around buildings. I know my way around the energy management systems. And around is the way to go. You will grow old integrating with each of Johnson Controls' additions of their system and Honeywell and Siemens and the rest of them the same way. Fortunately, most of them just speak BACnet when they're controlling things in the building, and we elbow them out of the way when they're about to make a mistake. As much as, as, much as we've spent on this, yes, they're designed to save a significant amount of energy, but none of them are solar aware, and none of them are particularly good at saving demand in a solar-equipped business. So that's our role. That's interesting. Okay. Okay, so we're talking about how the system integrates with existing energy management systems. Let's talk a little bit more specifically of how you'd integrate with the types of commercial solar and upcoming battery storage systems that are out there. Right. So the main information we need is the whole building demand, because remember, what we're trying to do is save demand charges, and then the output of the solar in approximately real time, real-ish time. So one-minute increments or something like that. We need to either have that come from the existing monitoring system or to put in some additional current transformers to monitor that. Other than that, we're really talking about just being able to communicate with the loads of the building. So really, in integrating with solar, it's straightforward. Most monitoring systems in commercial buildings are more than capable enough of doing what I just said. And then in the upcoming battery world, it's a a little bit wild west. So we are working with the battery controller or charge controller folks rather than going all the way down to the individual inverters. It is kind of the wild west. It hasn't really settled out too much as Mm -hmm. far as who the major players are going to be. There's lots of people that want to get into it. And also, I mean, just kind of what I see on the commercial side, the industry's changing. It's moving towards smaller equipment. You know, mm-hmm. you know, SMA started this whole thing with string inverters, and now solar is doing it. Now they all have to kind of deal with the rapid shutdown issues. Right. So people aren't putting in these big monster pallet-loaded inverters that we used to do, and they're putting lots of little inverters on the roof. Not quite micro-inverters yet, but you know, lots of little inverters. So they, they all have some kind of common communication protocol now. Now, just coming back more specifically to the existing building equipment, do you have a gateway that goes in there to talk to the building controls? Yes, because, of course, all the math is done in the cloud, but something in the building has to issue the control signals. So we have a little IoT gateway. It's just an off-the-shelf computer. It's no more than the size of a cell phone, really. And it speaks all those protocols I mentioned earlier, the wireless protocols and BACnet and so forth. So that installation is typically 10 minutes. It just plugs into the existing network in the building, the existing um, energy network in the building, and that handles all the communications. 
It's good to plug it in easily, and I wish more systems on the solar and battery side were, were that plug-and-play. And then how do you address some of the IT issues with getting it to work with all the security things that are going on in the building and then any kind of other funky hardware that they have that might be interfering? So the security is critical for us, of course, because you just can't get into a lot of buildings unless you address that. So we have our own Linux image that we write to the device, and it's all buttoned up to be able to be as secure as practical for this type of system. But the the communications is a separate issue. So either if the customer is comfortable with it, we can use their internet connection or we can put in a cell modem. And usually that's the way we go is have a dedicated cell connection to that device. So it's completely off their network. Yeah. We had talked about that kind of offline, but we've pretty much at Cinnamon Energy Systems standardized on cell communications because then we just don't have to deal with the individual building networks. It's just always a hassle. It's much more secure and it's much more straightforward for an installation. Yeah, yeah. Boy, I, could, I just hate asking for what the WP2 password is or anything else like that. And, and, and asking to remind you to tell us when you've changed it, right? Yep, exactly. Yep, yep. And then, you know, we're installers and contractors, and we're good at plugging in big wires, but not little communication wires and not software configurations. That's a very expensive process. So what are some of the challenges that you encounter when you're doing these installations? So... The challenges that we encounter are making this so simple that, and I'll say this straight to you, that even a solar installer can do it. Because what we really want is to get to the point where it's our installers and our partners who are doing the on-site work and we're doing the software work. Because I, I introduced the company as a software company. That's our core competence. You guys are much better than we are at putting guys on roofs and running wires around buildings. So we're trying to boil this down to the absolute simplest set of instructions we can make so that any solar installer can add this to their standard offer. Just like you have a favorite panel, a favorite inverter, you're going to have favorite software that you can bring to every one of these sites for demand charge management. So give me a box that has a cellular uplink that will talk to the outside world. Check. And we can make sure that there's CTs or hardware that's plugged in with Ethernet cables. Yes, you into can. Anything else that has to work, and I'll have the cables pre-made, and then I don't have to worry about pins getting mixed up, and then it pretty much should all work. That's the plan, exactly. And the wild card is what the thermostats are, and even that, we've now gotten a lot more experienced at how to shorten the installation cycle on those, and, you know, piece of cake. And what about the uh, pneumatic thermostats that are out there? Are you still kind of coming across those? Yeah, so there are new wireless thermostats that are drop-in replacements for almost everything you find in most businesses. So anything built in the last 50 years, I think, is a pretty good target. I'm showing my age. I just remember those darn pneumatic things. Now, the wireless thermostats have got a what a five-year, 10-year lithium-ion battery in them, something like that. Yeah, they are very long-lasting. They're more than five years most of the time. 10 is what they're shooting for. Yeah. We haven't gone 10 years on one, so we'll see. So the batteries are five or 10 years if you get a real battery, and they last five weeks if you get a cheap battery on Amazon, which is a fake. Right. Yeah. You don't want a fake battery in there. (laughs) Oh, boy. Real world issues. Now, talk about going to market with solar companies. What's your plan? How is it working to, to partner with solar and storage companies? Yeah. So we already have some great partners who are working with us in their particular sweet spot. So we have a great partner out in Colorado who's 
been doing car dealerships, and those are turning out to be really a great improvement in the ROI comes from the demand charge management. Colorado's got very low energy charges, but very high demand charges comparable to PG&E. And we have partners here in California who work with nonprofits or who work with office buildings. So the trick is to be able to match our offering with the offerings that the solar installer is already comfortable doing. So the kinds of buildings or the kinds of customers that they work with. So we're trying to make our pricing very distributor friendly. You can mark up our service when you sell it to the end customer. We're trying to understand the entire quoting process from gathering the utility data via something like utility API to plugging that into a quoting engine, something like energy tool base. We can help you with every step of the way and then get you a more competitive quote going to the end customer. You know, talk to me about car dealerships and the mm-hmm. ones that you're doing. Sure. What sample opportunity there and savings, and what is it controlling there? So the main thing we're controlling at the car dealers that we've done so far is HVAC, although we have one that's installing and should be done this fall, a backup battery for resiliency that we will get to use half the capacity for additional demand charge management. So the car dealer who's doing that one had a, a conversation with us that, you know, they apparently have had some outage problems with Excel Energy. And uh, he says, I make, I won't use the real number, I, I make X thousand dollars an hour while I'm open. Why wouldn't I want to be open? So the redundancy from that battery is going to be a a key part of that system. So it's a large solar system, several hundred kilowatts, and then a battery, and then control of the HVAC loads and half the capacity of the battery. Just out of curiosity for the car dealership, so what loads are you continuing to run at the car dealership if there's an XL blackout? So this is an interesting part of why our software-based solution is so compatible with solar and storage installations. They're building the battery to be large enough in KW to handle the full load of the building. It's our job within the first few minutes to shut off all the major loads behind the meter without having to rewire the whole facility. So a lot of the resiliency installations with a so-called critical loads panel ends up being um, a boon for master electricians who get a lot of work in rewiring buildings, but very, very costly to the end customer. So we'll be shutting off the HVAC. We'll be making sure that none of the large single loads are running in the building, but the garage doors will go up and down and the computers will work and the lights will work and they can continue to do business. So how do you avoid having a master electrician rewire everything? You're putting in smart circuit breakers that that are going to shed those loads? So we're mostly working directly through the thermostats to work on the HVAC systems. Got it. Okay. And that's much more compassionate to the electrical equipment in the compressors than just knocking them offline. You know, you let them them turn off the way the thermostats already know to turn them off so you're not doing harm to the compressors. Oh, good, good, good. All right. Well, how did you get into the energy savings business originally? So, mercifully can't see me. I have a face made for radio here, but I've been That's at my this. Line. I've been at this for some 30 <laughs> years. I've worked in my first job out of college was with Rates Department of Portland General Electric, so I understand the 
pricing side of the industry pretty well. I've worked both as a consultant and software entrepreneur in this business about half half the time each. And, you know, I'm just really saw a huge opportunity on the commercial side of solar because utility scale software is going great. The residential market has been hot for years. Commercial is always next year's market because there's these problems. And one of the big ones is managing demand charges. If you're trying to get good payback on energy alone, you're kind of quoting these deals with one hand behind your back. So we we thought we could boost the return for solar installers, and that would tap into our core expertise, both in commercial buildings and in pricing and optimization. That that sounds great. All right. How can people get in touch with Extensible Energy? The best way is just to go to our website, which is extensibleenergy.com. There's places where both end customers and solar installers and partners can contact us. All right. Terrific. Well, great. Uh, That's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. John, thanks for joining us. Fascinated by the product and the services. And thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. If you missed any of today's show, you can go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcast.